the Instructor Podcast with Terry Cook, talking with leaders, innovators, experts and game changers about what drives them. Welcome to the Instructor Podcast Green Room Edition, where every month at the minute we are diving into industry-specific topics, and I am joined today by two delightful people who are um, have their hearts and minds set on sabotaging this episode with talks of inappropriate comments and indeed nature. Uh, first, as always, an ever-frequent member of the Green Room is Chris Benson. How are we doing, Chris? All is good. I'm having great fun and we haven't started yet. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, keep it coming. And I'm also joined by the ever delightful and harking back to episode one of what's it called? Not Decapod, the instructor podcast, uh, the fabulous Bob Martin. How are we doing, Bob? Well, well clearly all the better for speaking to you two. Well, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the fun has already started, but we'll yep. try and keep a lid on it now. As we were discussing previously, you have ruined your day up to now, and it is our job to brighten said day. So it's the green room, and we're diving into industry-specific topics. And one of the things we're looking at today, the first thing, we're going to look at the cost of living slash working and how this is affecting us as driving instructors. So I'm going to go to you first, Chris, because you are obviously one of the head honchos at the DITC, and you are liaising with instructors, a lot of instructors, on a regular basis. So you've got your ear to the ground a lot. I'm wondering what you're hearing. How are instructors feeling at the minute? Are they feeling the pinch? I think everyone's worried about the number that we see at the fuel pump. Keep getting people phoning me up literally just to say, I normally put in 50 quid and it's just cost me 70. And so, yeah, I I think everyone's feeling it. There's been a lot of prices pushed. Um, So it's been a lot of chat about about that. Prices being squeezed up by, you know, one, two pounds to, to kind of reflect it. Some people saying temporary measure. Others just taking it as an opportunity to do so because I can't see you know inflation doing much different until a fair bit down the line. So mm. I think they're just accepting it as part of the way things are going. But equally, talking to pupils, no one seems to um, you know be phased by the fact that we're having to. They have accepted it as as a you know I've spoken to them and said. I'm not going to quote you the price at the moment. Let me get the instructor to, because we're all having to look at the costs. Hmm. Um, and they've all said, yep, that's fine. Totally understand. It, it is strange, isn't it, how how we have, and not rolled over for it, but, you know, remember a little while back when petrol was approaching 145 to 150 a litre and the world went crazy. But I think it's because we, we appreciate what's causing it, really. I think yes. that's, you know, there's, it's, 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 it's throwing a lot of, Bad stuff out there, but you know, but at least we've got a lot to be thankful for that we're not living where the problem is. Well, here's the question, Bob: What's the lowest you can remember? <laughs> it was it was thirty two pence a gallon when I started my apprenticeship. Thanks for that. Yes. <laughs> I don't remember it being below one thirty two a litre. Thirty two pence a gallon. When when I first passed my test rather than became an instructor, first passed my test. I think it was down at, at just shy of 70p. Um, I think it was there and sort of slowly watched it. There was a big leap to the sort of 120s, 130s, mm. and it's hovered around there. And and I remember every, every time people were really worried about the, the knock-on effects of it. And we're obviously mm. at the front of that because it is what keeps people running without well, it. That's right. It, it, but I think it's, it's something I used to talk to the boys and girls at LDC about regularly. It's we... We, we are a bit knee-jerky as an industry in that regard. We wait until something like this happens. I think, well, we're going to put the prices up. 
this should be an annual process at least, maybe biannual where you sit down, you look at costs, you know, what's coming in, what's going out, am I charging the right amount of money? But we tend not to do that. Um, and, and I think we probably should. So there is a little bit more of a reality check to think, well, hang on a minute, you know, my costs have gone up considerably here. Um, what am I going to do about it? You know, is it, is it, do I delay buying the new car? Do I push forward buying the new car, make it an electric one? And, you know, we have plans to get an electric vehicle. I'm putting solar panels on the garage roof to a battery system with an inverter so I can charge it from the solar panels. But that's not a cheap option. <laughs> it will be eventually because it'll pay for itself. But but I think regularly looking at your, your, your business in terms of what is it bringing you, you know, what is it costing you, is, is a good thing to do. Even if you don't do anything as a result of it, you should constantly be monitoring. I would agree with that. I put mine up in January. I put them up twice last year, which I don't normally do. I normally do it sort of start of year. And um, so I have been impacted uh, for, by the, the rising cost curve because it, it's cost me more. But I, I don't think it's affected me as much because I'd kind of increased my, mm. my profit margin anyway. Yeah. Um, so I am a little bit reluctant to put them up at the minute because of that. I think what I've told my guys is that I might do another one mid-year. Um, but I'm also thinking uh, I don't see the prices dropping massively, but no. my one of my concerns around putting price up around fuel price is if you put it up when it increases, do we drop it down when it decreases? You know, mm -hmm. if you're using that as a, a a gauge, then I suppose you're kind of obliged to it both ways. But mm -hmm. I I do have a slight concern. I know you mentioned, um, Chris, that the, the students aren't phased by it. And to be fair, I've told mine and they don't seem particularly phased by it. But I do have a slight concern long-term because it's not just the, the, the cost of the pump, is it? You've obviously got the increase in gas and electric and you've got the food prices. Not, the cost of living is increasing. And there is a concern from me that our learners are going to be able to continue paying for lessons. Now, obviously, there will be a lot that won't be affected because people have different wealth brackets and... I think I've touched on this before an episode where I live, I'm in between Bradford and Leeds and the bits of Leeds that I cover are fairly sort of wealthy, the better off, but the bits of Bradford that I cover aren't. Now I charge the same price for both. My work in Bradford is going to drop because they're going to be more affected than this other bracket. So I think that, yes, we should definitely be considered putting prices up, but I think long-term we have to consider whether people are going to be afford to pay them as well. It, well, I think it's it oh, sorry, go on, Chris. I, I was just going to say it depends on which of those areas you want to work in. Yeah, you know, because actually, how many how many pupils does each instructor need? And you look after yourself. What I'm concerned about is that um, you know trying to identify what that instructor offers, trying to identify where people sit in the market. Everything's concertinaed up because the bottoms mm. come up quicker than the tops gone yeah. gone up. Um, and then, so of course, we do then. We then face the danger of, you know, people coming in and hacking their prices down just to get the work kind of thing, which is, uh, you know, we're then cutting each other's throats. It's, it's a tricky one. But, I mean, you know, if you're doing – if your dairy is full of one-hour lesson slots, if you change to two-hour lesson slots, you've lost the travel time between lessons. You're, therefore, a bit more efficient. But that's – I suppose we'll come on to that later, won't we? <laughs> that, that may be something that I wish to raise uh, further <laughs> down the line, yeah. But – uh, is there anything else instructors could do? And, and yes, you mentioned lessons there as being an example, Bob, but we'll come back to the length of the lessons later. But 
we can put those prices up, but I'll throw this one to you, Bob. Is there anything else that instructors could be doing to either save money or <laughs> increase income? Well, I think that, that there's there's a myriad of different things you can do, but I think the number one thing to do is to realise that when you wake up in the morning, your number one job is managing your business. Being a driving instructor is a secondary job that you happen to do. And if you're managing your business, because I know... I know some fantastic instructors who are terrible at running that business and that they're, they're doing all right, but they should be doing a lot better. And I know some maybe not quite so talented instructors who are doing extremely well because they're very good at running that business. It's There's lots of things you can do. Um, you know, get more miles per gallon out of your car. There's some very simple things you can do, you know, and here's, here's a classic one. If you're all, if you're in the camp that says my car won't do 30 mile an hour in fourth gear, this is for you. Get it up to 30, put it in fourth gear, and ease off the gas gently until the grumbling stops. You'll have just enough power on to maintain speed, and you'll see that your car will do 30 mile an hour in fourth gear, and some of them will do it in fifth. Learn to anticipate. Teach this way too. Teach anticipation as part of everyday lessons so that you're not stopping it, because the one thing that costs fuel is actually stopping and starting. So if you can not stop by anticipating stuff, not only is your driving probably going to improve, but your fuel economy will too. Look at where you buy your fuel. Now, again, we have to be careful on this one because, you know, if you're driving a, uh, a mid-noughties to, to 20s Fiesta 1.6 diesel, that will not run on fuel that doesn't come from BP or Shell, or it won't run properly. Um, I took mine back after, after a, a couple of days I said, it's misfiring like crazy. What sort of fuel did he put in it? He said, I said, oh, come on, don't give me that. It doesn't matter. He went, oh, no, it does, it does. Um, but sometimes the supermarkets are getting BP and Shell, but sometimes they're not. So the, the better fuels, even though it might cost you a little bit more, you'll get more miles per gallon out of it because it's better grade fuel. So the, there's all sorts of stuff. I mean, the, the, you know, E10 isn't as good from a fuel economy point of view as E5. So don't put E10 in. If you've got the choice, put E5 in. If you can get fuel that's, that hasn't got any ethanol in it, that's even better. But good luck finding that now. So there's a myriad of different things. We can look at, at, at you know, how much are you paying for your servicing? Is there a garage you can get it done cheaper? So this is what I, what I mean when I say business managing. You know, are you, are you wasting money? You know, change your simple stuff like at home. You should never stay with the same energy provider for a long, long period of time because you're not getting the best deal. Tune into Martin Lewis, listen for the good deals and chop and change. It's only, you know, it's 20 quid here, 20 quid there, 30 quid there, 40 quid there, but it mounts up. It really does. And it can make a monstrous difference at the end of the year. So that was a bit of a long run, wasn't it? <laughs> well, I, I think COVID's done us a favour. I like <laughs> to spot the positives from COVID. Um, there's not many of them, but, you know, there are a few. Everyone sat down and, you know, panicked. I forgot what podcast I was on, I could swear. But anyway, um, I, everyone sat down and panicked. And It's not Decapod, so you can't swear too much. <laughs> they went through, they looked at their costs, they did all of that. Mm. So a lot of those things have already been done. I keep saying to people, go through your costs at least once a month, write mm. them down in order of, of how, ex you know, the most expensive at the top, because... A few percent on the most expensive is better than a few percent on the least. Yeah. And then work in that order of try to see what you can do 
to tweak one one at a time. You know, every time time you get a chance, have a look at it. Um, and then I think it's the other things um, that you know, weekly checks on your on your tire pressures, because massive yeah. fuel savings up to fifteen percent they reckon. By just oh, yeah, yeah, sometimes even more. I mean, I do do a lot of work for the Energy Savings Trust. We used to do the the um, train the trainer courses for them, where we teach people how to get lots and lots of miles to the gallon of their vehicles. And the one thing that does stand in your way is, is low tire pressure. And the twenty five percent, no, sorry. It was something like eighty percent of cars were running twenty five percent more. Now, a one percent reduction or increase in your tire pressure equates to about ten to thirteen percent more wear, and tires are expensive. Your car will handle better. You'll get more fuel economy from it if it's done right. If it's serviced properly, same sort of things. So look at you know maybe your local garage will do your servicing for free if you put a sticker on the side of it that says sold and serviced by. Oh, I get my servicing out. So start looking around at that kind of stuff. Do what the really rich people do and be dead tight and don't waste money. That's why they're really rich, because they don't waste money. <laughs> it's true. I, I was going to say, one other thing is make sure that you know when the clocks change um, so <laughs> that you don't end up turning up late to lessons. Sorry, Bob's got a big clock behind him. It's really, really triggering me. I haven't even looked at it. The clock. I hadn't noticed the clock was wrong either, so there you go. Yeah. Well, when you've said it, I have to change it. He's changing it now. Yeah, we've got it's live really clocks changing. It was turning me off. <laughs> <laughs> but oh, empty your boot. Don't carry around all that rubbish you don't need. So, yes, just while he's busy. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I agree with all that. I think the, the, the big one for me, and it's kind of a combination of what you've said, it, it is the basis management. It's the income expenditure, not just of the business, but of the personal. But I, you know, I went in my garage over, over the weekend and I found a load of mugs that I'd bought before lockdown uh, when I because I left red in uh, sort of towards the end of 2019 and then went independent and I put all these mugs and it was just like I'm going to give these out to students when they're passing I put my garage over lockdown and forgot about them and it, it, stuff like that I, I don't need to do that I don't need to go and buy people mugs for when they pass that's that's not a game changer in terms of students coming to me you know so there's there's things like that you can do but as you said chris you know if you do it monthly or at least monthly write down all your income and expenditures if you're anything like me you'll sign up for free trials all over the place forget about the free trials and wind up paying for them and then you can spot them rather than waiting a year i mean my ex-girlfriend once had two insurance policies on the car at the same time because she didn't and didn't notice for a year and then she, and then further down, she didn't have any insurance policy on the car. So therefore, when I borrowed it, guess who was the one that got caught by the police? That was me. And right. the, you know, so <laughs> that's another story. But um, but yeah, I'm gonna kind of, gonna be honest for a minute. Here. I think because um, one of the things we see a lot, uh, we see it on social media, we hear it when we're at the test center and all this kind of stuff is about how for instructors we're in such a good position at the minute in that we can just make whatever we want. We can work as many hours as we want. And yeah, there's truth in that, but I think there's still instructors out there that are still struggling, that are still recovering from the last couple of years. And, and I'm kind of going to be honest here, and, and, and you know, I am. And the reason I'm kind of highlighting me is because maybe if I'm open and honest about this, it might help someone else a little bit, but hmm. I still haven't recovered. And it, part of that is is mismanagement on my part, and part of it is, is circumstances beyond my control that I've had to adapt to. And so, for example, for me now, 
it's all about decisions and, and what can I do and what can't I do? Mm. And one thing that I'm going to have to start thinking about soon, potentially, and this isn't meant at all to sound martyrish, and I'm slightly concerned it might, is, is this podcast takes 30 hours a month. Well, mm. if I stop doing this podcast, I could potentially go and work for 30 extra hours a month. All of a sudden, I'm making 900 quid a month extra. Well, that would be quite useful right now. So there may come a point in the not-too-distant future where I'm thinking, do I need to take this fortnightly? Do I need to do it monthly? Do I need to just put a stop in it? Because it doesn't necessarily bring me an income. So is it what I need to be doing right now? And sometimes I think that the biggest thing we can do is just take a step back, look at those income, look at the expenditure, what's the thing that's causing us the biggest problem? And again, this podcast, I love it. Absolutely love it. It's, I really don't want to stop it. And again, really trying hard not to sound marish. But it may have to at some point to accommodate me not going bankrupt. Well, I suppose a business manager sitting down with you would say, this podcast, tell me about that. How much does that make you? Uh, yeah. Nothing. What the hell are you doing it for? And they'd be highlighting that as the number one thing to go. But if you look long term, it's getting you a bit more exposure, a bit more high profile, that possibly means eventually you'll be able to charge more money. So it's a, it's a difficult balance, isn't it? But it, it's, it, it is really looking with, in a, in a cold, cold, hard light at, at managing the business. You know, stuff like advertising, the amount of times I've spoken to, to ADIs, I say, okay, what sort of advertising you do? I mean, I know it's a different world now, but, you know, they'd be putting adverts in yellow pages back in the day, which was really expensive. And I'd say, well, okay, where are you advertising? Well, I've got these adverts in the local papers. I've got yellow pages. I've got this. I've got that. I've got this. I've got that. I said, okay, so which one of those adverts gets you the most work? What do you mean? And they never knew. So you've got to have a unique code on every advert so that you know which one's working and which one isn't. So that's like proper business management stuff. But it's what tends to happen is we get home after a long, hard day in the car, and we can't be asked with it. It's like, oh, I'll do that later. And later never comes. And it's, you know, it's all right at the minute when there's work aplenty, but, you know, as we've got this upturn, there'll be a downturn. You know, it'll go quiet again at some point. I've been through two recessions. I mean, I know I've been doing it a thousand years, but I've been through two recessions. And the hard, the hard, that's when everybody starts cutting each other's throats. The, um, so it's, you know, the, the spirit of camaraderie that exists at the minute is because we've all got plenty of work. Yeah. <laughs> that will change very quickly. Yeah, when there's not enough work. I think it, yeah, it's not being afraid to make those big decisions. And like you said, making smart decisions. So whether that is your advertising, do you need to, you know, if you've got the customers, maybe don't pay for advertising right now, but keep doing it on social. There's no reason why you can't post on your driving school page every single day, not for now, not for tomorrow, but for a year or 18 months when it drops out. It's not costing you a penny to do it now. But when people find your Facebook page and scroll through it and see all this awesome stuff that isn't just a past picture, a blurry past picture with a little font on it somewhere, but is actually something that they can utilize and find useful, that's going to help you in the long run. So as you said, Bob, it might not necessarily help you today, but that you can do stuff now that will help you tomorrow. And I think it is just taking a look at, um, at what you can do and the decisions. But before we dive into that any further, I'm going to take a moment to set the table and uh, and, and lay out the, the guests we've got on. So as always, I am your splendid host, Terry Cook of The Instructor Podcast, and I'm delighted to be joined by these two wonderful gentlemen. So Chris, do you want to tell us a little bit about you and a little bit about what you do? 
Um, I'm Chris Benstead and I co-founded the DITC, the Driving Instructor and Trainers Collective, uh, off the back of COVID and all its uh, wonderful gifts it brought us, both good and bad, um, to try and unite the industry. It's something we wanted to do for a long time um, and we were given the opportunity to do so and we now work with everybody inside of the industry um, and if we're not working with you, get in touch because we want to, to point everybody else in the direction of you. So that's we, what we do. We join the dots. We are professional middlemen. Um, and uh, I'd say alongside that, I still do uh, theory training. I haven't got a car. I still keep ending up in one. Uh, I was in one today. But uh, I am dedicated to trying to make sure that the industry becomes a better place. Excellent. And Mr. Bob Morton, uh, tell us a little bit about you and where people can find you and what you do. They can find all of my offerings at clientcenteredlearning.co.uk. Um, I have a membership um, package on there, some standalone standard check courses, ebooks, um, all that kind of stuff. So 32, 33 years now in the game, audit trainer, qualified teacher, verifier, assessor, coach. Specialised really in, in part three and standards check. Uh, but give me a look on uh, clientcenterlearning.co.uk. There's a lot of free stuff there in my blog. Um, if you're worried about your standards check, I've done a little section on um, the competencies in plain English. Have, have a little look at that. You might find it useful. Awesome. Uh, well, those that know me will know that I highly recommend the both Chris, the DITC, his various stuff, and Bob and all his clients at Learning Goodness as well. And if you do enjoy the Instructor Podcast and you want more Terry goodness in your life, uh, you can find my other podcast, so the 5-Minute Theory, you can find Driving Test Sales, and you can find the ever-awesome and inspiring Decapod. If you are easily offended, do not go and check out Decapod. If you like the Instructor Podcast, you can go and check out the Instructor Podcast Premium. Over there, you get a whole host of additional content, including stuff around the Sanders Check Competition, around coaching, around health and mindset and, and mental health, all that kind of stuff. And as well, you get a lovely discount on Bob Martin's client set of learning. If you sign up to instruct the podcast first, you get a, a £10 discount and you also get a 16% discount on Go Roadie, which was very awkward when I said that when I had uh, Dan Hill on from my drive time. But oh, yeah. he took it like a champ um, and only ridiculed me slightly in a, in a cheerful manner. Uh, so yeah, go check out the Instructor Podcast Premium, www.theinstructorpodcast.com. Over there, you can also find links for the DITC, Center learning and both the chaps that you are listening to as well as me but uh continuing on what we're saying about the big decisions i mentioned there we've all kind of spoke a little bit about cpd and that's something we could consider reducing now by that i'm not saying stop cpd because anyone that listens to this podcast knows i'm a big advocate of it but i'm potentially saying maybe look at the way you're doing it so would now be the best time for you to go and invest in a, a thousand pound course some people, yes, of course it would. There will be people that aren't overly affected. But if you are struggling a bit financially, would now be the best time? Or would you be better off going to some kind of one-off workshop or some one-to-one -one training or something smaller or, or whatever? So I'm going to throw this over to, to you, Chris. What would your suggestions be around CPD and how different approaches people could take to it in the current climate? There's tons of options. There always are. It depends what you think. I think one of the dangers is we keep calling it CPD and no one really knows what that means. Um, so uh, improving yourself, improving your business, improving your learning and your understanding of what you do. Uh, and however you choose to do that, 
it's the people who we speak to who qualified 10 plus years ago and have never challenged it, improved on it, developed it outside of their own car. Um, and I think, you know, getting other people's input, um, that might be in your own car, but get someone else in there as well. Um, but lots and lots of options. I think um, an odd answer for me, because it's not normally the one I come out with, know your tax liability. Um, if you're making money and you've got the money to invest, you can either give it to the tax man or you can invest it in yourself. So if you know in advance where your finances are at, then there's an opportunity there to to actually get that money coming back potentially tenfold because you know you can develop yourself in a way that you haven't before. So before you get to the end of the tax year, know where you're at. And then know whether you want to, you know, drop in an invoice. And anyone who's doing CPD will happily invoice you in advance, um, should you, should you ask them to for that reason, so that it falls in. That's not dodgy. That's just good finance management. Sure. Um, so so yeah, know know your liabilities so you could actually budget for it because you might not have it next year, and you might have got to the point where actually you're not really losing anything this year. You're just putting it in a different pot. Tax, of, tax avoidance is good business practice. Tax evasion puts you in jail. <laughs> but I, just touching on what you were saying, it's right, you know, develop yourself, develop your business. And I think the clear thing, you know, it's a question I ask people when they, come, they want to talk to me. I say, okay, so what is it you want from this? And it's, they go, what do you mean? Well, what, what's your goal? What is it you hope to end up? What, what, what's the purpose of what you're doing? Is it just to have a course? Just to collect a certificate? Or, or is there a genuine need for it? And I think one of the best CPD things you can do is talk to your mate and get him to sit in the back of your car or her, and then you sit in the back of their car. You've put yourself under the pressure of a standards check. You've also done the same for your pupil. Did it come apart at the seams? If it did, maybe you need help. If it didn't and you perform wonderfully, you're all set. There you go. You can have that one for free. Um one thing I did note down before I started is that if, regarding CPD, is if you signed up to the Instructor Podcast Premium and Client Set of Learning and the DITC, that would cost you 36 quid a month. That's like ridiculously good value. Absolutely. And so there you go. And I'm not, that's not shilling this stuff. That's just the combination of the three things on here. You could mix those combinations up however you see fit with anything else you see fit. But the 36 quid a month, you're getting essentially all you need there. Um, again, there's other stuff you can add to it, but you don't need an awful lot more than that. And 36 quid a month, that's what, less than a tenner a week. That's not bad going at all. But the other thing we mentioned previously, or you mentioned, Bob, and I'm going to specifically blame you for this one, so I don't take any flack for it, is the length of driving lessons. Uh, now, I personally am a fan of Dipod. Uh, I listen to it every month. I always have. Possibly always will. But one of the things that was said on there recently, I'm not meaning to start a podcast war by saying this, uh, one of the things that was said on there recently was the fact that uh, they said that they could teach as much in an hour as anyone else could in two hours. Two-hour lessons are pointless. There's no point doing them because they can do everything in one hour. I'll, I'll take that wager. <laughs> <laughs> I Go on, Bob. Talk to me about it's, that. Give me a voice. I, I understand what they're saying. It's it, but it's. Can you explain? Because I don't. 
<laughs> well, it's well. Firstly, I was always taught by the old boy who taught me to be an instrument. They used to clatter me around the head and stuff. Self praise is no recommendation, boy. <laughs> However, I I was afforded the luxury, um, you know, in in recent times where I was employed for a great deal of the time by LVC. So when I did lessons. I wasn't restricted by dairy management the way that you know a normal a normal a, a working instructor would be. So I started to mess around with lessons, and I've, I, everything I do is in eight to ten minute blocks. That's what my lesson is: an eight to ten minute block. And if everything's going great, and we're ready for the next eight to ten minute block, just do it. It could well be conceivably that 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 lesson could go on all day. One of the reasons people don't like intensive courses when we coil in horrors because they say there's too much to learn. And there is if you try and put the learning in. There's far too much to learn. If, if, you, if you assume that the learner is an empty vessel and all you've got to do is pour into them your righteous wisdom and knowledge, too much to do in a week. However, if you're getting the learning out, that's a very different thing. If you're making connections in that person's synapse back in the head, with stuff they've done as a pedestrian, stuff they've observed, stuff they've dreamt, stuff they've seen on TV, stuff they've seen their parents do, then the learning is not so onerous and we can extend that learning period. And they always say that 40 minutes is the longest people can learn, but that's when they're being talked at. It's very different when they're involved in it. So I think lesson length is while we're still learning. And the thing that we need to learn as an industry, and a lot of us have, is that only the learner can do the learning. You can both do the teaching, but only the learner can do the learning. And just because you're telling them brilliant stuff doesn't mean there's learning happening. So it's 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 a tricky one. How long's that? How long's a lesson? Well, it's as long as le learning's happening. I would say that's a bit of a, an obtuse answer, but that's you know there is no optimum length. But from a diary management point of view, there is. It, ideally, you want four hours in the morning, four hours in the afternoon. That's you done. But trying to organize that might be a little difficult. And then you're starting to sandwich people into lesson lengths that aren't really necessarily good for them. So it's a tricky one. Tricky one. But I, I wouldn't I wouldn't do one hour lessons if I was a working instructor every day because it's it's too onerous in terms of travel time. I, so I, I would be that, doing intensive or semi-intensive. I think that that raises one of the errors that we make as as instructors, as an industry. We call lessons the amount of time. Yes. That we teach, and and, and it's not. It's a session, and and right. It, it, I'm doing it again. The DVSA got it right. If you look at the standards check part three form, the bottom competency is the only one that refers to the session, which is the length of time over which it happened, not the lessons, which are the learning events that happened during it. Mm -hmm. So again, the DVSA are ahead on this one. Um, it, 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 the frequency is increasing. Um, I do the same thing. I, I love those 10 minute blocks or I, I always refer to about a boy, um, Hugh, Hugh Grant living his life in 15 minute units and that's how he divides his life up. And that's what I always was Julia Roberts in that one. Was, was, was Julia, was that him and Julia Roberts in that one? So no, I don't know. She didn't make a, make an appearance in that one. No, Notting Hill. Definitely. All right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. This is going to be a nightmare to what <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I just couldn't resist. Oh, well, it's staying in. I can't be bothered. It's going out tomorrow. So, For those of you who've not listened to Decker Pod, it's a reference to that podcast. 
Um, yeah, once you finish listening to this, go check out Decapod. You might need to. You might need that <laughs> breath of fresh air. Um, Release. I mean, I've got to say, though, Chris, um, uh, you're coming on this show and you're turning more and more into a DVSA shill, basically. <laughs> Every question is just how much you love and adore the DVSA. Um, no, so the, the thing for me is, I I've learned this over the past sort of six years. I when I came in, I was very much, oh, Red have told me two hours, my trainer told me two hours. Uh he suggested getting longer if you can. And I would badger them students into doing that. And I was very much like like what you said, Bob. If I could get a four-hour session in the morning and a four-hour session after I that was me. But then what I realized was I didn't like that. I've I've kind of clicked six hours is enough for me. When I get to Hour six, I'm I'm done. Anyone that has a lesson after six hours doesn't get full quality Terry. And no one doesn't want full quality Terry. But also it's down to the students. You know, the the, yeah. the last that I taught today before recording this, she did a two-hour lesson on her first lesson, said to me she started losing focus after about 90 minutes. Can we do 90 minutes? Like, yeah, of course we can. No problem. And she does 90 minutes and she does really well now, and she's developing nicely. Why would I? sort of change that and throw a spanner it works and i think that the, the yeah. biggest thing for me is finding what works for you and what works for that student and if you can't accommodate that student what they want that's not a bad thing that means that you're not the right fit yeah. i mean the sort of the last thing i'll say on that i suppose is, is one hour lessons i hate them i genuinely despise them because i it's like i just started i feel like i've just started with student and then we're finishing and that's not really the case There'll be students that work better with one hours, of course they will, but they're not the right students for me. And at the minute, there is one student I'm doing an hour for, and that's because she's struggling financially, and I don't want to, to lose her. But she lives five minutes down the road from my other students, so I'll just tag that onto the end of that two-hour lesson. So it actually works out quite well for my diary. But, yeah, I think it's what's right for the instructor, and then if you can accommodate the student as well, then that's perfect. It's, it's like everything in life, isn't it? It's balance. Balance. You get the balance right, then it's okay. If your students are enjoying it, if you're enjoying it, you're making a reasonable amount of money, there's no foul, is there, really? That's, that's yeah. ideal. And when we talk about the, the cost of living slash the cost of working, as you said, if you can get that diary right so it works for you, that's going to help you, even if that means that you've, you've scheduled a break-in that's going to relax you. So for me, maybe I just needed a break to go and do hours seven and eight. You know, maybe that's how I work it, or, or whether it's the fact that, Actually, do you know what? I work better having those lessons closer together. I'm just going bang, 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 rather than a break where I'm going to get sleepy. So if you can get those lessons working right for you, then that's probably going to help you financially as well. Well, we had a, a guy that worked with LDC who worked in, in Middlesbrough in between two six-form colleges. And he, he was never very far from his, his house because the test center was just around the corner. And he moved to Fort William and then had 45 minutes between every lessons. And he said... As a result of that, he was a far superior instructor because he was relaxed all the time. Yet, from a, a, a business management point of view, not quite so good. But quality of life has to play a part too, doesn't it? So it's not just the cost of it. It's the, the quality of your living too. Sorry, Chris, you've got... A, a, a question um, that, that pops into my head because uh, it comes up on Facebook every now and again. Piggybacking. What 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 are your thoughts? Because it it was when I came in, it was no, oh, no one does that. You mustn't do that. It was a sign of you know ripping people off or um, you know crap instruction. It's interesting uh, to sort of revisit that in light of preparing for standards checks. 
I don't know. I'm, it's not something I've ever done, and I've always. Uh, you're right. I've looked down on it, but I don't really know why. It's just because it was seen. That's what charlatans did. <laughs> I, I, I've done it, and and it's worked brilliantly. And two of them might be getting married soon. Um, so what are you teaching them. I am. I am on a you know, guarantee that I will be driving them. I haven't got a car now. I've got to figure that one out. But um, be driving them to the church if that's if that actually mm. happens. But it's, you know, I think doing it for the right reasons. Yeah. Um, I'm a fan know. of two to one sometimes, training yeah. on, for, for PDI training. As long as the one in the back's involved all the time, it's okay. Yes. It, it's how and why. But mm. I think so, so often it's an industry thing, but I think everyone does it. Um, it's baby and bathwater, isn't it? We, we tend to go, you know, you can't do that without actually digging into it and going, mm. what's the benefit? How can we keep that benefit? And, and you know, why should we yeah, do we're it? Not, we're not very good at accepting challenges to, to our thought processes in, in our industry, are we really? <laughs> or is that not just Facebook? Done. Not what we've done for the last 20 years. Why should we start now? Um, <laughs> But yes, yeah, so we're nearly back full circle to electric cars because that's where we started from. So, oh yeah, it's. I mean, the uh, well, the, the the medium future. I don't know for the long term future. I suspect that's going to be hydrogen. But yeah. this technology is ridiculously expensive. But electric cars are coming down now, and there are some fairly good deals around. Um, nice thing about it is, of course, you can write off a hundred percent of the car in year one because it's zero emissions, um, and you can also use your annual investment allowance as a purchase. So I've spoken to a, a couple of guys on uh, the Energy Saving Trust Train the Trainer, so if we use the bounce back loan to fund, well, partly fund the car, which is possibly a smart move. So it's, you've just got to trim your costs as much as you can, really. Um, you know, really think about it. How much are you paying for your gas, your electricity, your, your, Make, your maybe you're living in a three-bedroom house and the kids have moved out. You know, do you need a three-bedroom house now? You need the kids. Well, yeah, it's good that anyone yeah. want to. No. Um, <laughs> well, I had two before I found out what was causing it. <laughs> for the right price, it's uh, they're up for sale. But no, I I, I think that um, you know you making good use of your student card available from the DITC, mm. uh, making sure that you're you're sensibly spending, making food at home and taking it with you. That's you know been the biggest saving I've had. Is now that I'm not out in the car and I'm not feeding myself, you know, from from the occasional trough at the side of the road, um, has, has made it so much cheaper for me. I just have to remember to eat sometimes. Well, it's a it's a healthy option too, isn't it? Because if you're out about you, you eat pasties and that sort of nonsense, it's so bad for you. I'll be vegan next. Oh, I'd, I'd recommend it. I mean, I. It's something that I changed when I came back uh, from the last lockdown was I started taking my own food more, and it was usually leftovers from the night before, and so much nicer than some of the crap you get while you're out. Because if you want all nice while you're out, you've got to pay a fortune for it. But, mm. um, but yes, I think I'd back all those ideas. I think the other thing, uh, just to kind of tie, put a bow on that, tie a bow on that, would be, just as we said right at the beginning, take a step back and look at where you're at. 
and make some decisions. Don't wait till your decisions have to be made for you. Make the decisions in advance. Make some plans. And don't be afraid to ask people for help. Don't be afraid to reach out. But Well, that's another thing, isn't it? You know, when, next time you're in the test centre, treat yourself to a conversation about how is any, anybody else managing their business rather than the round of, aren't the DSA pants? <laughs> and why can't we get tests? You know, give yourself a break from that because it's awful, isn't it? You know, what are you doing? How are you tightening your belt? You know, find out what people are doing. It's just a refreshing change to the normal conversations at the minute. Yeah. Which is all around test waiting times. And and just on that, I'm going to make a recommendation for this podcast that if you go back to season one and find the Dino Tartelia episode, or you go back to season two and find the Carl Reed episode, they were two fascinating insights from people that have nothing to do with the industry talking about our industry. And I know a lot of instructors, when they hear that, it's like, oh, well, they don't know. They won't have any idea because, oh, fuck off, whatever. But these people <laughs> are just genuinely giving a, an outsider's perspective. And I took so much from them in episodes. I know that other people did as well. So if you're looking for ways uh, to, to maybe look at your business differently or more like a business rather than just someone that turns up and lets people drive about for a bit, then that'll be two good places to start. Yeah, we're gonna learn. We're gonna learn a lot from other other businesses. You know, I've had this. Oh, you people pushing leaflets in your hand. Why do they bother doing that? They do it because it works. Why are they bothering cold calling? Because it works. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we'll kind of put that aside for now. Uh, I don't think there's any much more advice we could give on on um, the cost of your business, the cost of living, and so on and so forth. As I've said, uh, any specific question, I'm sure that all three of us are willing to take them. You know, for a small. Well, thing, yeah, whatever. but. It might be nice if people wrote in with the changes they're making. And you could maybe yeah. read out uh, some read out comments. Maybe that's, that's a really good show, actually. When you listen to the show, go and find the Facebook post or find it on Twitter and put in the comments. Tell us what suggestions you've got that other people could potentially follow. Tell us your bright ideas. Um, tell I'll us what's richer. <laughs> yeah. And, and tell us what didn't work. Tell us the things that you've tried and like, I'm never doing that again. Because that's how you learn stuff. It's what we tell us learners now, isn't it? Your balls up. That's brilliant. Great. Don't do it again. You know, maybe more succinctly like that, but either way. But we're going to kind of move over a little bit now because um, as we're recording this, my episode with NASP came out a couple of days ago. Uh, we're recording this on Monday. The episode came out on Sunday. And that was speaking to uh, Carly Brookfield of oh, all the acronyms. Carly Brookfield of the DIA, Peter Harvey of the MSA, and Lynn Barry, formerly of the ADINJC, but Lynn came, I'm getting a thumbs up from Chris, sir. but uh, Lynn Barry came along because she's only just left and uh, she obviously had a lot more insight on what had been going on previously. Uh, now, I know you've listened to this episode, Chris, so not necessarily your thoughts on the episode, but maybe did you get any takeaways from that? Is there anything that's out for you, good or indeed bad, on, on NASP? I'm, I'm cards on table to start with. I'm a fan. Um, I think it's important that we have a point of connectivity with the DVSA that is um, works on both sides. What every time I hear is that we don't get to hear what goes on. We don't get to hear the meetings that they have. We don't get to hear the things they've stopped from happening because they don't, don't want to cause more outrage or you know fights about things that aren't going on. Um, and that must be really difficult when you're sat around a table and you think, I'm doing a really good job, but I can't tell anyone about it. We now know how Clark Kent felt. So, um, you know, I, I, that's what came across is, you know, that it, it was 
people who clearly are dedicated to the industry and are keen to you know to to engage and work with the DVSA, which is not easy. Uh, you know, I've, I've sat in a few of those rooms and kind of heard promises that never go anywhere, or you know, heard objections which are just because we don't do that. Not I think part of the part of the problem stems from the fact that we're dealing with the, the NASP are dealing with the middlemen. They're not dealing with the people who are actually making the decisions because the DVSA don't actually decide what happens. It's government that decides that and the DVSA administer it. So it's always tricky. So they then report back to whoever they're talking to. And sometimes those people go, nah. <laughs> what was interesting was that they don't just talk to the DVSA. They're on panels with DFT, DVLA, um, and you know are, are making that clear that we need more unity, we need more clarity of communication. Lockdown proved it when yeah. you know, the, the day we heard was the day before the DVSA heard, and then we wanted a response from the DVSA, and how dare they not tell us yet? They didn't blooming know. So, you know, all of that came about, and I, and I, I, I get it, and I, I thought it was great. What I would like to hear from them is is actually not the unity, I want to know what's different between them. Um, and, you know, there's there's one for the future. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not convinced they'll actually yeah. tell you in a room it, when they're being NASP. Yeah. I think there's been some fantastic work done by these people, and, you know, more power to them. You know, they've given up thousands of hours of their own time for no, for no gain, really. But it, it's it's interesting what you say about it's all, it is all a bit nice. And it's, I've served on a lot of committees in my time. Um, you know, I've been close to death during meetings sometimes, you know, and I've, I've sat in three-hour meetings that should have been an email. So it's, but it's, what you need sometimes is somebody who's like, oi, wait a bloody minute, yeah? You need a table thumper. And because NASP want to put together a united front, I mean, does is, does that get in the way of that happening? You know, so somebody needs to be a thorn in their side. Somebody needs to be a rabble rouser that's, you know, that's just held in line by, with a muzzle by one of the others. Otherwise, it just becomes a bit sort of, you know, we're trying to be nice here. We're trying to be cooperative and we're trying to work as an organisation. But Speaking of the, you know, the things that people don't get told, um, I think that's something that actually DITC are getting better at um, is sending NASP an email saying, right, we're aware of this. Can you sort it out, please? Um, and then they come back to us, but because of the same kind of dynamic, um, you know, we're, we're not out to just cause problems. Um, mm. But actually, you know, there, there's more of that going on behind the scenes. I think the problem is the previous incarnation, um, you know, which involved other associations, mm. there was too much table banging. Um, and then there wasn't enough. You've, it, it's that balance between holding people to account and, you know, and, and trying to get something actually done. Um, you know, if you dig your heels in too hard, your legs snap, and then you can't get anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. And it's, again, it's like we said before, it's about balance, isn't it? But I think generally the, the associations do a great job. You know, it's, 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 it's very rare you can point them and say they've done a bad job. Uh, I, but I, it's, I, it's... Wish more, I wish more people knew who they were and what they stood for, hmm. um, because... I spoke to the the ADI and JC when we were launching the DITC. We we said, you know, we we want to support and we want you to be involved. We're not an association. Is the plan we want to be a platform? And um, they 
were obvious, obviously concerned at that point um, that you know we were going to be straight competition, um, and what what we were trying to sort of make them aware of is that people don't know who they are, but they talk to their members all the time, so they're recognised by those people and they're known by those people. I would say nine out of ten instructors that I talk to, if I mentioned any of those initials that that Terry Terry excellently navigated his way through um they don't know who they are mm. so you know if we could change any one thing um it it would be that um because then at least if you know what's there you could do something about it and you can make a choice uh, i'm a big believer everyone should be a member of at least one of them yeah yeah i concur and just going back to that episode for a minute and i don't want to dwell on the episode itself but it was something i I learned a lot from in, in two ways. One of how to manage a podcast when there's three other people on there that I'm suddenly realized, oh crap, these are three opinions on one subject. And now I'm going to like on the cask a third of the things I want to ask. So that was quite interesting for me. But also, like you said, Chris, I, I didn't realize they were actually in communication and in meetings with all these other departments, including the actual board of the DVSA. And the amount of regular contact that they're in with Love Day Rider herself, I thought that was quite interesting. And also, some of the things like uh, the DIA, uh, Carly Brookfield was saying about the the milestone project, which I didn't, which I wasn't aware of. Um, basically, training people to drive in clumps in in sections rather than you know all in, blurred together, which is quite interesting. So, and I think my other takeaway from it was. And, and this was kind of said in passing a little bit by a couple of them. It was, it was glossed over, and I didn't really notice it until after. It was like the amount of stuff that the uh, that NASP has actually prevented going through, some of the decisions they prevented. And I think as instructors, we'll complain a lot about some of the stuff the DVSA does. And I thought, think about the stuff that would have gone ahead without NASP. And so it's not always the stuff you see, it's the stuff you don't see that, that is actually almost more telling. Think of some of the crap we'd be dealing with without NASP there actually stopping it or doing their best to stop it going through. I mean, even with the, um, the, 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 the new standards check process, you know, the trigger points, all that kind of stuff, they're still campaigning to make that a trial period and, and to see how it goes rather than they're not accepting that this is how it should be, they're still sort of pushing that. And I think that all that is is really interesting. But I, I do want to come back to you at, at such here, Chris. I wanted to – I did genuinely want to ask the uh, the free associates about the DITC. But as I said, my, my time was kind of a third of what I expected it to be. Um, what's the DITC's relationship like with the associations and like with the DVSA? I would have loved to know their answer to that question because I know I know how I see it and I know how we engage with them. Um, I know all of them. I think I haven't. I don't think I've met Charles, um, the new chair of the ADONJC yet. I have sent him a text to welcome him uh, into the position to see. You know, um, looking forward to seeing what he's going to do with things. Uh, a very different character and. Very small shoes, I would think, because Lynn's not very big, but um, big, big, big footprints to to, to fill, definitely. Uh, and I think, yeah, I'd be, I'd love to know the answer to that question. I hope you get the chance to ask it. Um, we, from our perspective, we are we're big fans. 
um, we feel that sometimes they don't get highlighted what what goes on and the differences and the benefits. Um, I remember Lynn Barry saying to me once that associations, um, or particularly the ADR and JC, we're not just a magazine and PIPL cover. Now, that was shortly before they got rid of the magazine. Um, so maybe that was a clue. But they, they do so much more. And, and it's, it isn't it, like insurance. You don't realise how good they are until you need them. Um, and I get phone calls. I'm sure Bob gets phone calls as well from people who have got into trouble through legal issues or process issues with DVSA. They're going to lose their badge potentially. It's always which association are you a member of? And and you need to be talking to them and using that you know the, those processes, um, but they never are, and that's when they regret the fact that they weren't. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know we're we're really big fans of all all of them, um, and um, yeah we you know depending on what people are looking for, a bit like CPD, what do you want? DIA is commercial in in its you know in its making. Um, it's far more commercial. It often gets beaten with that as a as a, a negative i think it's a real positive i think having that as part of what we do because we are commercial but we don't like acknowledging it um they they have you know training in place um and uh, and a team of people who really do know their stuff and and reach internationally i've done some work with them regarding diamond and the stuff they do abroad so you know they've got that side of things the adi and jc is is has always been um volunteers was was the old style um approach and now they've had to acknowledge that they sometimes get paid for training and things otherwise again they get beaten with the stick because that's a negative because they shouldn't be paid for the work they do i don't know but anyway um that they are instructors working for on behalf of instructors and they do see things that we see and work you know they're doing the job and then the MSA, I put my hand up. I haven't had a lot to do with them because as I came into things, I found the DIA because they were nearer to my doorstep. Um, but, you know, I know Peter, uh, Peter Harvey, and I knew John Lapine previously. We'd sat in rooms together and, you know, debated things around the table. And they really know their stuff. I think that the MSA are trying really hard to kind of modernise what they're doing and they work in that regional approach um, and we'd love to get more involved with them. Uh, what they think about us, um, I've only heard good things. They haven't said the nasty stuff to me, um, but I'm sure there's pros and cons, you know, like there always is. Uh, we would love to hear it. So, uh, you know, I, I yeah. I speak to Carly fairly regularly. As I say, they're just down the road, um, and uh, I, I do bits of work with them. They, they, one of the reasons that I ended up doing BBC stuff um, previously, and, and getting things like that, because uh, when Carly's not around to talk, she thinks I'm a, a close second of being able to open my mouth and blurt out. So I go quiet now. Well, I think it's it's it is interesting. You look, we, we've just come through the worst two years in the industry's history. But that you know, there can't there cannot be another time, another period that, that's been as traumatic for those involved in it. And and those who are tasked with taking care of our interests, I think they've done a pretty damn good job. Even the DVSA, another communication was appalling. But they've still kind of proved their worth, I think, through this period. I mean, you know, I'm no DVSA fanboy, but 
they've had a difficult job to do. Um, and have acquitted themselves reasonably okay. The, um, you know, there's lots of things that could have been better, but, you know, this last two years could have been an unmitigated disaster, and it wasn't. It was a disaster, <laughs> but not an unmitigated one. We have to remember that the DVSA isn't one thing. Yeah. You've got the, the pressures from, from higher up, DFT, etc. But you've also got the other pressures coming up from the examiners, who a lot of them are unionised. Yeah. That, we took, keep talking about balance. I don't want that job uh, oh, at God, all. No. Um, no. They, they'd be striking all the time if I was in that position. But I, I, I you know, I, I think that that is incredibly difficult. I, I regularly say I've got a lot of respect for the individuals at the DVSA. It's the collective slow moving thing that I don't like. Um, it needs change. Bob, what's your opinion on the DITC? I think it's a great organisation. It's, uh, I think I must have been one of the first members. Even though, even though they booted me out after a bit, I, I found out that my subscription cancelled for some reason. It didn't renew. <laughs> it, it is uh, one of those issues with um, using automated systems that are based on somebody. I'm, I'm, I'm a member again now, of course. Yeah. No, I think it's, I think it's good, and I think it's something different, a slightly different approach. Um, and I love the, I love some of the, the communication that I've seen from Chris in various directions. And it's just, it's it's your one-stop shop, really. If you want to know what's going on, for the amount of money it costs, it's worth it. Worth its weight in gold. Six quid a month. What can you buy for six quid? Certainly can't buy a gallon of bloody fuel. <laughs> um, it, it clicked for me a little bit then when, when you were talking through the associations, because I know that you always state, Chris, that the ITC is not an association. You're not trying to be an association. But I think that the lines are blurred slightly, you know, and I think that it's, it's, it is difficult to, dif- to, to define the, what the association is and what, and what the DITC is. But I think it actually clicked a little bit there in that if I want to decide which association to go with, I'll come and speak to you because you'll be able to, to recommend with the different facets of each association. That's what the DITC is for. Not just that, but you're there for that information when then I to who I want to go to. It just clicked a little bit for me there. We, we uh, in the meeting with, with the ADI and JC, um, uh, Neil, Neil Peake, uh, who is the president, um, he said, um, so you're professional middlemen. And, and I was like, yes, exactly <clears throat> that. I, th- I, I feel it was an insult at the time, but actually, no, nail on the head. Mm. I've, I've spent my industry as a middleman. Um, I've spent my industry... I've, I've spent my what's the word I want? I spent my career as a middleman in in other things as well, um, and to do it as part of the industry just makes sense because I I like talking to lots of people and but I have an interest in what they're doing, and I want them to do well and I love to give away thoughts and ideas and see where they where they go. So you know, it, for me, yes, middlemen of the industry will take that, we'll run with it happily. Just this is not necessarily related, but I, I, I did a talk at the at the MSA annual conference now recently, um, and the DVSA were there giving a presentation on the triggers and why they've done it. Fascinating, mm. absolutely fascinating. Um, I mean, I've always I, I think the triggers are a good thing. Um, the only thing I've got an issue with is why five driver force you can get through a part two with that. 
But that's that's the only thing. But when you listen to the last don't ask that question when there's only 10 minutes left on the show. We need another hour. Because of the maths. The maths works. The only thing that doesn't work, which is really interesting, A and B. (laughs) The A's are not all at the top. No, no, not at all. Not at all. Um, And there's lots of people who are on A's that get triggered. Um, But that's a whole other, that's a whole podcast on its own. How can you be an A and still get a standards check? I'm going to put a pin in that now. (laughs) I'm going to put a pin in that now. And what I'm going to do is I ask ask this question to to, uh, the the three members of NASP. So I'm going to throw it to you guys. Bob, if you could make one change to our industry, what change would you make? I would like us to be more professional. I would like us to be more collegiate. You know, work work together more. That's that's more than one change, isn't it? Yeah, I think it counts as one. Uh, and what about you, Chris? What change would you make to our industry? I'd like to go back in time slightly because I don't know if it would have the same effect now. But I would have made the age for the driving test not for starting to learn, but for the driving test. I would have made it eighteen as we came out of lockdown, mm. and we would have pretty much negated the waiting list. We would have had safer roads because we know that older drivers, even those few months, make a difference. And a lot of people it wouldn't have affected, but we would have encouraged some more continuous learning. So mm. I would make the make 18 the test age, start at 17 or, you know, 16 if you qualify, um, but, you know, have had it a year later for each of those. Cool. Uh, also, uh, you are both, well, one of you definitely, one of you potentially, penciled in to appear on the ADI Book Club in our Facebook group. Bob, you are turning up in April, um, and we are going to be discussing your book that I have completely forgotten what it's called. What's your book called? <laughs> Maximising Your Exam Potential. Right. So if people want to get hold of that before you join me on the book club, where can they find it? At clientcenterlearning.co.uk. Excellent. And if you want a £10 discount to that, join up to the instructorpodcast.com premium. Uh, and Chris, uh, you know, maybe we'll have you on in May to talk about your new book. When's your new book coming out? And tell us a little bit about it. Oh, it's really exciting, actually. I, it kind of, you know, it bubbled away for so long. I, I, I'd almost fallen out of love with the idea. Um, and then I got my publication date as of today, um, which is the 29th of April. Um, nothing to do with driving instructing. It's a kid's book. Um, it's for for people far more intellectual than us, at about the age of you know five or so. Uh, and the the best thing about it is it rhymes. Uh, it is called "Is There a Monster?" And I wrote it for my five year old, um, kind of off the cuff to be honest, because um, the ones that you try to do are never as good. Um, and uh, yeah, someone said you should get that published, and I did what. I often do, which is go, all right, I will, because it seemed like a good challenge at the time. Uh, so I'm, I'm really excited. I'm, I'm going to start to potentially go to a few schools with it and and do, you know, stuff like that and, and just see where it takes me. It's it's very much a, um, a venture of interest just to see what happens. I'm going to have to get a car. So I have a car. I don't have a tuition vehicle. So yes, it should, should be more specific. I got an estate so that I can put all the copies I don't sell in the back. But I'm now slightly concerned about what you said about fuel economy. Maybe I shouldn't be driving around with so many copies in the back boot of the car. Right. Just have little vouchers for a download. Uh, right, Bob, uh, any final thoughts and, and where can people find you? Um. 
well, I think final thoughts. I think it's a great time to be in the industry. You know, I think things as we come out of this, things are in pretty good shape. I know we've got you know pressures on the cost of living and stuff, but this is the highest earning that the industry's ever been. So I think it's a good time to be an instructor, good time to train to be an instructor. And where can they find clients at learning.co.uk? And Chris, final thoughts, and where can people find you? I agree with everything Bob said, but I think it's a really stressful time to be in the industry as well. Um, look after your mental health. Um, yeah. Everybody that I keep talking to is um, finding it challenging because we're not good at saying no. Um, and you know, it, it's okay to look after yourself. So do that. Um, as part of doing that, get in touch with the DITC because we are trying to cover mental health as much as everything else and check the back catalogue of the Instructor instructor Podcast because that's where I make my best ideas from. So uh, go back. Uh, he's nodding away. Um, go back, check that out, and um, you know, get some ideas of how you can look after you because a better you will be a better business, will be better and safer pupils in the future. As a little challenge for anyone listening, when this is released, or if you go back and see what other episodes Chris has been on, look at his social media for the couple of days prior, and you'll see where he has stolen all the ideas and got it out there before the episode's been released. I credit each and every one. <laughs> but that's not strictly true. You credit them to yourself sometimes, whatever. It's all fun and games. Um, yeah, so make sure you head over to www.theinstructorpodcast.com. Over there, you'll find links to the DITC and Client Set Learning and all the stuff I do, and you'll find guest profiles for these two over there as well. While you're over there, make sure you check out the feed page, which is where I update the last 10 releases from me. So that'll be the uh, the podcast stuff, it'll be the premium stuff, and it'll be the lives to do and stuff like that on Facebook. So make sure I check out the feed book, feed page not feedback feed page and uh, and cheers to you two for joining me very much appreciate always a pleasure never a chance very much the instructor podcast with terry cook talking with leaders innovators experts and game changers about what drives them